welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare show. Here we talk with experts who help us get better at the people stuff of healthcare so we can get better at helping the person with the problem. Today I'm joined by Victor Ahupeni. Uh, Victor is a physiotherapist, he's a past clinic owner, he's passionate about improving the communication that healthcare providers have with their clients or their patients. Um, and he's also a pretty kick ass public speaker as well. Victor, welcome, mate. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. First question I want to ask you is, is why are you interested in the people stuff of healthcare? Look, I, um, I, if, if, we, if we wind it back uh, to, I guess, my, my high school years, I did a lot of public speaking like you, you touched on, but I, in about third form so 13 I, I got thrown I went to a private school I went got thrown into a uh, a multi speaking competition like an English section of it but I got thrown in because I was the only multi basically in my year so it wasn't like a, I wanted to do this it was I got thrown into it and we had bright red blazers we were the only private school in this in the province and so we were called Jaffers we weren't overly over you know we, we fit the stereotype basically and um yeah, if you've ever been to any type of multi ceremony, there's when you give a, a talk, there's usually a group behind you supporting, and so you finish your, you finish your presentation, you finish your speech, and there's a song. I was up there by myself, trembling with these cue cards, just like shaking away, and uh, absolutely bombed it. Like, yeah, it was not a great presentation. Yeah, there's no no ways to kind of fluff about it, and. Um, it wasn't till I guess after the presentation I heard one of the, the the speakers talking with their public speaking coach or their teacher and I was like what is this and then yeah our, our school had one uh, so I started enrolling in these public speaking courses and uh, by the end of high school I'd become a qualified speaking teacher really kind of gone from like bombing a speech to the completely other other end of it and I wanted to when I left school, I was, I was weighing up going and doing broadcasting in Christchurch or attempting to get into physio in Dunedin. And literally flip of a coin, I was like, if I miss out on physio after first year, I'll, I'll go and do this broadcasting school. Got into physio and throughout it, uh, I guess I, and I know this is a really long-winded winded answer, but I think it gives it a bit of context because I think there's other physios who kind of fit into this. Like I only had visions on becoming a private practice physio. I didn't even know there were physios in hospitals. I don't think I'd stepped foot in a hospital before university time. And uh, at the end of it, I, I thought, oh, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to be fine because I'm confident with people. Like I'm good with people. Therefore that equals success down the track. Yeah. You know? And got out uh and after i guess probably a couple of years of working you know the first couple of years you're just like lapping up knowledge and trying to learn and learn and learn and then i i kept noticing that i was on this um this constant yeah you know, i call it the new patient hamster wheel 
you just like new patient in, new patient in, new patient in, and then you're just going through them. And it's like so tiring. You go on away on holiday for like four days and then you've lost your whole list because they, oh yeah, I didn't book in in a fortnight's time because they didn't necessarily see the value in you or uh, you, know, you hadn't presented the problem or anything well. And so I was getting sick of turning up on a Monday. I did 10 hours on a Monday and I'd have like nine new patients back to back for an hour each and I'd just be toast. And it wasn't until I was, I was sitting there and like, I was always puzzled because I was like, oh, I get on with these patients well. You know, they, they liked me as a person. They just didn't necessarily believe in the expertise that I had to solve their problem. It wasn't until I was by chance, yeah, I don't, don't know if you've had them, but the curtained off rooms, yeah, that you, you're just separated by a curtain. And there was this physio, her name was Deshney. She was sitting, uh, she was treating a patient in there and I was just doing notes in the other one. And she, just the way she was speaking to her patients kind of piqued my interest. And I was like, oh, there's something about, because I was always trying to figure out, she had a waiting list every single day. She had like, you know, five to 10 people wanting to see her every single day. And I was like, what, how is she doing this? Because you know, there can't be that big of a, a gap between you know, where her skill set was as a therapist and, and where mine was. I didn't think I was an amazing therapist by any stretch of the imagination, but it kind of threw me down this rabbit hole of not just going, oh, well, look, I can give a good presentation and I, I'm a you know, pretty friendly guy to the point that I went and started learning about sales communication, about selling, about learning about people's objections. And, and once I started realizing she had accidentally picked up a lot of this, uh, and then I see a lot of other therapists who are really good and full, who they do it through trial and error over a lot of years. And I'd, well, I was able, I guess, to model what some of they would, some of them were doing, and then take things from outside of the health space um, to learn how to, I guess, sell myself better. And now I've learned how to, I guess, pass that on to to others, which is, yeah, long, like I say, long winded. But I think a lot of a lot of therapists find themselves in that space after a couple of years of like, oh my god, I'm burnt out. This sucks. Keep seeing all these new patients. How do I change this? Mm, yeah, and I think I think part of it's selling yourself, but I think a, a lot of it as well is selling the concepts that you're trying to get across to people as well, um, and and framing that up in a way that people can absorb and people can take in and and say, actually, no, this is valuable. This is really good stuff. I need to come back and see Victor so he can help me work work through my health journey. Um, and I know one of the one of the areas that you that you think a lot about is our own limiting beliefs as health practitioners and how that holds us back from having a really effective um, health program with our patients. Can you elaborate a little bit around kind of the our mindset or the mindsets that you see in clinicians about our limiting beliefs? Yeah, well, I. I- and it's a brilliant question because I, I, I touched on it slightly earlier, but it's these limiting beliefs that yeah, a selling is taboo. I've run a lot of a lot of trainings for clinics and for for therapists, and all of them associate selling with uh, used car salesmen or insurance yeah. or, or what, whatever it may be. They, they've got the stigma towards selling, 
Uh, and then the ones that are most successful are the ones that are most comfortable with selling themselves. And part of it, I think one of our limiting beliefs is I just need that next shiny object and then people will start falling for it. And that's the next shoulder course, the next back course, uh, the master's qualification, the PhD. I need whatever that next thing is. Those letters on the wall behind me. Yeah. And then that, then everything's going to fall into place. But there's, you know, there's multiple things. And, and I, I, I think once you, you break down, you tend to find, and it's a, it's a drill, it's a, a drill. It's a process that I, I work through with people and, and saying there's, there's basically four main objections that patients are going to have. It's price, time, uh, alternative. Like, is there an alternative uh, uh, solution? You know, for me, is it the chiropractor, the massage therapist, pain medication, the doctor, surgery, you know, all these different things, or the actual product that you're selling, which is physiotherapy in my, in my case. And I've asked groups and I said, I want you to rank those and what you think your patient's uh, main objection is for not rebooking or for canceling an appointment. <laughs> and none of them ever have anywhere close to the same percent. One person will be 80% price. Another person will be time. Another person will be alternative products. Uh, another person will be, they don't believe that physio is the right solution for them. And so it really starts beginning to highlight what is the person's own self-limiting beliefs you know, it, rather than, and, and I, I give the example, like if you've got a, Nine out of 10 sore back. Oh yeah, 11 out of 10 is our patients will love to tell us. Um, if, if you've got that and a patient comes in the door and you say, look, I need to see you again you know, tomorrow morning. I've got one spot at 9.30. If they've got work, they're going to move their work around because they A, value getting out of pain, but then they hopefully value your expertise. When they're down to like a two out of 10 pain, if you haven't shown them a clear pathway and proven your value, they're like, oh, look, I can't get in at 9.30 or I can't. And, and so you'll start saying, oh, look, they couldn't get in at 9.30. That was the reason. But really, it's a lot of the framing that you've done previously. And you know, even to the, to the biggest extent, which I find a lot of newer therapists really struggle with is the, the price. Um, they, they don't necessarily value them, their ability, uh, and particularly in Australia, where there's you know there's not necessarily the ACC system, but it still works the the same. Uh, is and the, a, a physio on the Gold Coast, Brad Beer, he I, I love the term that he does. He calls it diagnosing by the hip pocket, and it's going oh, okay. Well, you know this person's a, a single parent. Um, yeah, they probably can't afford to come in twice a week, so. Uh, yeah, I'll just get them in once a week and it'll take a little bit longer. But you're diagnosed, you're not giving them the best possible treatment and then they're not getting the best possible recovery and then they lose faith in you because of that. You know, you've, you've got to give them the best option. And then you know, once that kind of penny drops with a lot of them, they're like, yeah, I've definitely been doing that with these particular patients. Or yeah, they've come to you for a professional advice and you've given them amateur amateur advice on the back end because you've you've made a decision on what they can and can't afford how do we how do we get around those limiting beliefs that we hold that we're pushing onto the onto our patients <laughs> that's it i mean and that's, that's a, a big question but, yeah it's a, it's a it's a rabbit hole i mean i think part of it is yeah and i kind of let the the rabbit out of the bag with the um no one getting the same percentages um but yeah even if you do it with your your fellow clinicians and things like that and then you start seeing um what are 
the um, what are the things that are consistently coming up for me as to when a person rings up reception and says they can't come back because of such and such, what are the consistent things that are that are coming up in my cancellations? What are, and this is a real, I guess, uh, you know, diving deeper into those four objections that I was talking about that patients often have is as you develop your initial consultation, uh, that's really what I try and work on is if we can set everything up from the start, you don't necessarily have to know the perfect diagnosis, the perfect treatment plan, all of these things initially. But if you're setting up and handling their objections, then you're going to be able to get their buy-in. And I I realize this isn't necessarily handling your own self-limiting beliefs, but you're going to start realizing once, because most therapists don't realize that these objections exist and that their, their patients are actually telling them subconsciously and consciously through the, what they're saying in these initial consults, like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah they're saying something either uh, regarding pain or regarding price or regarding frequency. Um, I've got a cat just attacking the door. <laughs> Give me two seconds. All good, man. Um, sorry, everyone listening, but yeah, you know, cats will either attack we'll leave, your legs we'll or leave the door. That in. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was my cat's objection to podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, once what what you tend to find, and having done these sessions with clinic owners and, and their staff, and then reviewing them at three months, I get them after each initial consult to write what would the questions that were posed to you at the end of your consultation. Because they're generally the objections that you haven't overcome by the patient. Yeah, it may be that you haven't given them a time for a healing time frame or an expected healing time frame, and that means they've got a product objection because they don't know if the product's going to be the right solution. You, you know, you may have um, not covered the frequency, and then they're like, "Oh, okay, well, I can't factor in whether price is an objection or not," or yeah, that. They, you may have not picked out the best, uh, you know, found out which times are going to work for them. And they may have already in their head decided that, oh, look, I, I work from nine to five, I can't come in. They may not realize that you start at seven or finish at seven or you know, have certain days. And so I, I think once you start identifying what are the common things, you realize that A, you're either not bringing certain things out in your sessions and they're either self-limiting beliefs Um or they're just things that you're just consciously not coming up with. Um, and then, yeah, I think that what I've seen is price is the biggest thing, particularly for newer graduates and being able to value what they're giving. Mm. Um, and part of that is finding, you know, for me, I went from uh, my first ever role was in Canada. Terrible boss horrible learning environment, awesome clinic in a, in a university treating awesome you know, athletes and unlimited resources, basically. But I, I didn't develop. Then I came to Australia and I went to like literally the other end of the spectrum, had an amazing, amazing business, amazing business owner, awesome learning environment. And that allowed me, I guess, to start overcoming some of my own um, limiting beliefs around price because I just saw like, look, we're doing 150 hours of in-clinic training a year. Like, how can I not be better? Like, how can I not bring value to my patients? Oh, look, I'm getting a, um, yeah, I've got a waiting list now. Oh, wow, I must be bringing value. But from from an initial side of things, I think uh, you'll generally see from a, 
a, a price standpoint is they will undertreat and, and there's a stigma, and, and I know this isn't just necessarily physios, but I've seen it across multiple different allied health, is rather than uh, over-treat, there's a stigma towards over-treating. I don't want to be that therapist that over-treats. And I, I haven't met, I've probably met one of them in my whole career, like therapists that actually over-treat. Um, you know, this was probably more in the ultrasound and differential days more so than the, than, than the current climate. But I think the bigger disservice to patients is actually underservicing them. And then they don't get results. And then you start second guessing as a new therapist your actual ability to get people better. They drop off. And like I say, you get back on that new new patient hamster wheel. Yeah. And it turns into a bit of a spiral spiral as well. As if you don't, if you don't value the skill set that you're bringing to the table, um, then people lack confidence in you. So they don't do what you ask them. You don't get the results. Sometimes you do because natural history is a great thing with, with health. <laughs> um, but then that that knocks your confidence even further and, and you really start to question your value. Um, one thing that I've found helpful for myself and, and also talk to a, lot, uh, a few other health practitioners about as well is, is comparing the cost of what you're providing with, with another product. Um, my sister-in-law is a general practitioner um, and she was saying that their, their, the cost of coming to see them uh, is 20 bucks, which is super cheap. Um, but also I think like health professionals, we want to pack in so much value into one session that it's almost, it's almost kind of drowns the poor patient. Um, but if you compare 20 bucks to a lot of other products, like 20 bucks, you get a moderate box of beer for 20 bucks. <laughs> um, going to see your doctor is going to be more value for your money than buying a box of beer. Yeah. And, and even just um, the, uh, going for a massage. You know, mm. versus say coming to see a physio or a, you know, a car or whatever whatever the, the therapist may be is you know, it's it's you're saying okay well you and I'm not just I'm not talking about like a, a, a trained massage therapist who's you know a remedial therapist or anything like your local in the mall type massage joint yeah you're still you're still paying a decent amount for that again it's the passive side of things that which people enjoy but um going going back to uh something that you said oh i'm sure trying to touch on it uh it'll, it'll it'll come back to me but um yeah i think being able to yeah to understand that people have options um but they they also have to pay money for those other options as well. Uh, so I think we demonize money. Uh, we know that the best therapists out there see their patients more than the least, the lower skilled therapists. Um, and to be able to do that, it costs money for these patients, whether the patient's paying it or not. Um, we know that, you know, having seen enough people who have to pay and who have to and don't have to pay, uh, the value that they then put on to us as well um yeah there's a there's a therapist and uh, i i love what he, he he does he's got his own method uh, it's called the ridgeway technique um he's based out of brisbane and an initial consultation for with him is 800 dollars for an hour and 400 yeah i saw that face solid, the solid day. <laughs> yeah and 450 for a, for a follow-up consult but if you're a and and this is this is i think a good 
mind shift for a lot of people is if you go and pay $800 to anybody and they just they tell you to do a particular exercise or change a particular habit versus you get it for free with some sort of government rebate or your private health insurance or whatever it doesn't cost you a dollar what's your likelihood of compliance like if someone's like you need to go and do yeah, 10 squats every hour or 10 lumbar extensions yeah you need to go and do these mckenzie things all right i'm freaking setting a timer i'm going to make sure and so he gets great results like yeah his patients they 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 manage they monitor their their stats they follow up with all their patients they look at positive outcomes and things like that it's not just necessarily flash in the pan but directly across the road there's a physiotherapy that charges a tenth of what he does so it's not like people are isolated in some rural community and they only have one physio to pick from. There's one literally across the road, directly opposite them. And so being able to, I think, as, as therapists, understand that you know, the, the more we value ourselves, the more that our patients uh, are going to be able to value us and the better outcomes that we're going to get. And that doesn't always necessarily mean having to charge $800 for our, our time but i mean if you saw one person a day and build four thousand dollars a week how much effort would you be able to put in and energy would you be able to put into to those those patients and um just kind of going on on that point the physio that i said that i had that kind of epiphany moment with when i was in the in the cubicle opposite her she came to me one day and I, like I'll, I'll just use random numbers let's say it was 80 dollars a consult she said oh look i'm thinking about yeah, this this wait list that just never stops i never get a gap someone cancels and it's already full um i thinking i thinking i'm going to raise my prices and i was like oh, all right and uh i think it might have been like 110 for an initial consult and 80 for a follow-up and she goes i'm going to i'm going to increase it 180 and she goes i'm going to increase it by five dollars per consult and i said guess what no one's even going to notice. I said, if you actually want to make a den, and we did some rough numbers, and and I said to her, make your follow-up consults from eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars, so a fifty percent increase, and from a hundred to one hundred and fifty to to see you as a new patient. And she was obviously like hesitant. Her, her big thing was like the price that she, she had faith in her skill and her ability, but she at that price point. And she was like, oh, we did the maths on you. Look, if 30% of your list disappear and you've got more time uh, in each day and you're not as burnt out, like it's going to be happy days and you're still actually going to be billing more and making more money. Um, and then three people off her list went and saw other therapists within our clinic. So the clinic lost no business. She still had a waiting list every day. <laughs> Everyone said, oh, I thought you would have upped your prices ages ago. Like, you know, you're the best physio I've ever seen. I travel halfway across Brisbane to see you. Like, and, and that was obviously a big moment for her as well, understanding like I've been undervaluing myself. Um, and I said, just keep upping them every six months until you actually start seeing a slight drop off. And then you found you know, where the market, I guess, values you, which you can't necessarily do as a new grade. You do have to to work on these different things. But I think it's also important to understand you know, that people will value you as well. Mm. And we've talked about kind of thinking about how we, how we value ourselves um, and kind of comparing it from a price perspective, but articulating that value to the patient, like it's all well and good if we feel really, really good about ourselves. How do we articulate the value that we provide to someone else 
other than kind of having a price point there. Yeah, well, I think part, part or well, not, I think, but it, it starts, and this is why I heavily focus on the initial consult because it's where, like, yeah, it's first impressions basically that you're that you're having with these patients, and I try and yeah. You know, with most aspects of my life is consistency is what creates excellence. Like, you know, you, if you're an amazing golfer, it's because you've done multiple things consistently well, rather than having one phenomenal yeah. ability. No one's born to be a physio. No one's born to be a podiatrist, but the ones that are really great are the ones who have done things consistently well, like not even well, like they've just consistently done things that get results. And what I found with my initial consultations is if I could frame myself as an expert and I, I, I back my abilities, you know, I think there's other physios who are better than me. That doesn't mean that I'm not, I can't be good as well, but being able to, uh, the 80, 20 rule, you know, the Tim Ferriss or Pareto's principle of, you know, you can get 80% of the results from 20% of the, the, um, the work, I believe that we need to start realizing that as an expert side of things as well as if you can teach eight out of 10 people about rehab and getting their body who are walking down the street, you are an expert to your community. The problem is we live in this bubble where we go to work with other people who are good. And then we go to conferences with, who are with other people who are better. And we start kind of getting this almost tall poppy of like, oh, I'm not as good as that person. And yeah, you know, keeping up with the, I call it keeping up with the physios is, and we're <laughs> yeah. always like, oh, like, oh, this per particularly, uh, I, I, go, I go back to the new grad thing, but you're like, oh, someone, you know, you graduate and say, oh, so-and-so did McKenzie. Oh, that must be better than me now. Oh, so-and-so did Lynn Watson's shoulder course or did dry needling. And like, you're always going, oh, well, that's why I'm not quite there yet. But going back to the initial consultation is first, believing that you're an expert but then also positioning yourself as an expert and what that means is that you're in control of the process you're not necessarily telling the person that you're in control you're showing them so when they walk in the door it's hey i'm victor thanks for coming in uh, have you been to physio before now this the reason i, I lead with this and you know small talk there's rapport and rapport is a person believing that you have the solution to whatever their problem is rapport secondary rapport is all that other stuff that people think is the really important stuff the dog's name their yeah. kid's name where they work all the irrelevant stuff that like i said when i was younger i was like i got on with these people so well why did they and i take it so personally when they'd cancel out because I, like, I got on with them so well but i i just built yeah 12 layers of secondary rapport deep and hadn't shown them that i had the product or the, the solution to their problem and so Asking that question, have you been to physio before, allows me to control the rest of the consultation. And so what I mean by that is they can say, yes, I have. You go, oh, cool. Well, I, do think, I may do things slightly different. What's going to happen today is we're going to do, a, I'm going to ask you some really specific questions to get a bit of a history. Then we're going to do relative to your answers, some specific tests to have a look at what's going on. I'm going to put together a treatment plan and present it to you. And if we have time, we'll begin that treatment plan, but I'll give you some things to go away with at the end of today. And that way I'm handling the expectations that they were just going to jump on the bed like their previous physio and just get a massage for 20 minutes or that they were going to get acupunct or they were going to do this and this and this. They may bring them up, but I can handle those early on. Whereas if... I wait till the end of the consult and they go, oh, usually I just get 30 minutes of massage. And then they, they leave and their expectations aren't met. And that just leads to uh, un, 
disgust or unmet uh, unmet expectations leads to future resent. Like, yeah, they're going to walk away and go, oh, like that physio didn't do what I was expecting. And they go, whereas when they leave and they go, that physio did exactly what he said he was going to do yeah. in that consultation. And if they bring those things, they're going to bring those things like, oh, usually I just get acupuncture. Cool. Look, I, I still need to be able to get a thorough examination of you and make sure that this is exactly the same thing. And um, that, so I can do this appropriately. If they say, no, I haven't been to physio before, I give them exactly the same spiel. Yeah. And so from there, I'm, you know, if you walk into your GP and they're like, how's your dog? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you play golf? Oh, that's great. Oh, you play soccer? Oh, that's cool. Versus boom, boom, boom. Here's your prescription. Go and get this particular, you know, go to physio, go to the pharmacist, go to the surgeon, go to whatever. You're gone and I mean, they've got a higher perceived expertise than us to the general pop population. Um, but us being able to differentiate that and be able to start off as an authority. Hey, this is what's going to happen. You get to the end of the consult and you say you're going to give them a treatment plan because we have these other patients that think they're going to get better in one session. We're able to address that really early. Yeah, I'm going to give you a treatment plan and we're going to outline how we're going to get you back to where you want to go. And um, yeah, it's so little of it. Um, and like, I took an extra, uh, I didn't mind the cook and guardies and, and the bowler when I was in, uh, at university. It took, it took me a year longer to get through physiotherapy. So I'm not this you know, phenomenal PhD, uh, you know, evidence-based physio. I, I try and follow evidence-based as much as I can, but your patients don't care. Your patients don't care about evidence-based treatment. I'm not saying go and be unethical. I'm saying if you go to a dentist and they say, we've got the latest machine for doing root canals or I'm following the latest protocols, you're like, I freaking hope so. I came to see you because you're a dentist and that's what I expected you to do. Your patients have an expectation that you're giving them the best possible treatment. Um, whereas I jump on a physio's website, it's like, we're, yeah, we pride ourselves on using evidence-based treatments and providing a tailored thing. And it's like, that's not something your patients have ever come in and said, Hey, um, look, oh uh, yeah, I was just, I saw Chris on your website. I was wondering, is he, is he an evidence-based therapist or, um, yeah, does he just think positive thoughts towards me? He just kind of does what he wants. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> about him, eh? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think, um, yeah, being, being able to, uh, set these expectations, like, yeah, and, and that's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg that allows for everything else in your initial consultation. But all I'm really trying to do in my initial consultation is position myself, find out what their true drivers are, their true goals, not just like I'd love to get back to sport, but you know, some some visceral things that that you can tap into. Um, yeah, get some sort of diagnosis and then be able to present them a plan. Whereas, like you say, the drinking out of the fire hose that we try and do in our consults. And it's like, look, I've got to try and do my subjective and objective as quickly as possible, not handle any of their objections, do some hands-on, give them some exercises, give them some ergonomic things so that they feel that they got money, their money's worth. What I say to that is that uh, too much information creates overload or overwhelm and overwhelm leads to inaction. So yeah, you would you would have done it. Oh, I'm not. I did it when I first came out. It's like you give yep. your patient five exercises after their first session. Like here's the five exercises to do, and they come back and they've done none because human nature is like haven't got time to do five, so I'll do zero. Yeah, got time to do two, but I'll do zero. Whereas you give them one, 
and you get some compliance, you get some dopamine, you get some some reward system. And that, that's exactly what we try and do when we try and do a million things in that consult. We become poor with our time management, we run over, we burn ourselves out, our patients get get unhappy because we haven't kept our word to being on time and you know, all, all of these flow on, a thing, flow on effects. Um, so I think being able to prize ourselves to be able to tick all of these boxes, it, it really allows when you're presenting this plan at the end that the patient, regardless, you know, I've, I've had uh, physios who are a year out who are overbooked and I've had you know, worked with ones who are 10 years out who couldn't hold a list. So it's, it's a myth that more expertise leads to better being a better physio if you're missing this kind of yeah you know, the communication catalyst. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you with that, Victor, is that you're setting expectations right at the start of the. And actually, I follow a very similar framework to you. Um, I call I call it a plan of attack rather than yeah. a treatment plan. Um, but basically everything else word for word. So setting expectations at the start, you're running through, you're asking them some good questions, finding out what they care about, what their problems are. You're ruling out the nasty stuff and getting a good idea of what's going on. And then you're telling them what the process is going to be from there. Yeah. And uh, phenomenal reflective listening there. Um, by you, Thank you <laughs> which man. is, which is, which is one, one part of it. Yeah. People, people uh, in the, in the, studies that I do follow, people have said uh, that they felt like it was a non-encounter. They felt like their session was a non-encounter with a physio uh, because they felt like they weren't listened to. And Mm. that that the therapist thought they were too much of an expert, which is basically, you know, rather than that end of your subjective, like, hey, have I heard you right? Is this what we've got? Have I missed anything that you think might be important for for your thing? If that person then goes, oh, look, yep. Yeah, they, they ticked everything off. Yeah, I've, I've given them everything I can. Again, this kind of reverts the blame back onto them if they leave and they're like, oh, he didn't ask me about such and such. It's like, no. Yeah, the, Victor Victor asked me if I had anything else and I forgot to tell him. I have to bring it up next time. And yeah, there's there's definitely going to be times where they they stew over that. Yeah, the, the patient, oh, that person didn't even ask me about my such and such. And you're like, yeah, yeah. okay. Whereas you're giving them that the option to do it. So yeah. yeah. Victor, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about, people can put into practice tomorrow, but in terms of, in terms of uh, anything else that we can put into practice in our clinics and our, uh, in our healthcare lives tomorrow, what's one, th- one piece of advice you would give people? Systemize. <laughs> as as uh, a lot of people, uh, I, I, I like, things that are generally accepted that are usually wrong. Like I, I like challenging those sorts of things. And I heard a great saying, and it was, uh, most people think practice makes perfect. But if you go to the driving range, and you know, I like golf, so if you go to the driving range and you hit a, hit a big slice, and then you get 100 balls and you, you hit another 100 slices, you're just making it permanent. Practice makes permanent. So yeah, if you're going in there, like I say, and you're starting every consult, just say in that framework or a particular one that you choose. Like, yeah, a lot of therapists that I that I train their teams, they're like, oh, that's what I do. And I'm like, yeah, it took us 10 years of trial and error to figure out what works. And you could have learned it in day one, you know, of your of your degree or your of your of your working life. So I think trying to figure if 
find what is well received by your patients and yeah as monotonous as it is yeah systemize it have that story for the shoulder have that story for the back have that story for an x-ray or a cortisone injection that you can just go to that your patients understand um, because that that systemization or that consistency is what will create excellence for you as a as a therapist awesome man that's great advice and like the people listening to you are like man he's telling that same shit joke again yeah God damn it <laughs> well you, you, you do hear it you hear you hear the person over the curtain you're like oh they're telling that again but then you hear the patient go oh really oh yeah no that makes sense and you're like well you're telling it for a reason yeah um victor if people are interested in the work that you do uh and finding out more about you mate where's the best place that they can go and do, uh, do that so I run some uh, in-person training as well as online, and um, some of them are actually recorded for, for those. So uh, check, check out alliedhealthskills.com forward slash training, and that'll take you to the event page, um, but it's also got my email on there. So if you're looking for uh, your clinic or yourself to, to run through any of that communication training, then um, you, can, you can do that. Uh, otherwise, I'll... Somewhere on all the socials, there's not too many people with my name. Cool. I'll, I'll link all of that <laughs> stuff up as well, mate. Um... That is a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in August 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.